Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander. With me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow. And me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. As always, be aware, there are spoilers ahead. So welcome back. Mm -hmm. This is the fourth episode in our second season Mm -hmm. for Outlander Soul. It's also part two of our (laughs) series on sexual violence in Outlander. Can we be any more confusing? uh, Because we're we're in the second season of of our podcast, (laughs) but in season four of the TV show. But second parts of this particular series it's just it feels as if we're our intro is getting longer and longer and trying to determine (laughs) anyway and we've been getting a lot of feedback from people on facebook going you're showing pictures from season one and you're saying season two and we're like we're season two of us really yeah yeah we know what we're doing just uh we might not be clear about that all right so well this is the second conversation with emma nagoose emma's in the house Yes, she is. So Jamie conducted an interview with Emma on sexual violence in Outlander. Mm -hmm. And last week's episode, or two weeks ago, the episode had to do specifically with Emma's paper Mm -hmm. that she wrote on Lamentations and the Man of Sorrows Mm -hmm. and comparing Jamie Fraser with the Man of Sorrows as rape victim. Lamentations 3, yeah. So Mm -hmm. this week they're going to be talking a little more about a full understanding of sexual violence, at least in the first three books of Mm -hmm. the Outlander series. Emma's not read beyond that, and so we didn't want to have any spoilers for her or Mm -hmm. for any of our other listeners who are out there. There is plenty of sexual violence to go around in Outlander. Um, (laughs) Even in the first three books. (laughs) In the first three books, there's quite a bit. Just a, a word or so about Emma, if you didn't hear about her in our last podcast. Emma has her bachelor's and master's degree in archaeology from the University of Sheffield. She is currently working on her PhD in problematic gender constructions in biblical and contemporary rape narratives, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of words to say that she's looking at sexual violence in the biblical text Mm -hmm. as well as in contemporary text and contemporary stories. So she's putting the two together and comparing and contrasting them Mm -hmm. and wondering how we came up with these narratives and whether or not they serve us today. Yeah, she's spending time especially on pop culture and and TV references as well and combining those with biblical studies stories from the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, we get a lot of our story from television, from visual stories, Mm -hmm. television, Mm -hmm. movies, and now we're getting a lot of stuff online. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering at some point... We're going to move into social media where we're getting a lot of our stories, too. But oh, that's a good point. I think that that's, that's probably something that people are already doing out there. And if you are, gosh, we'd love to have <laughs> so, We'd love to have you as our guest. Yeah. Emma is also a huge fan of Outlander. Mm-hmm. And when Jamie went to make her presentation for her paper, mm-hmm. Me Too Jesus, she and Emma met mm-hmm. and had conversations about Outlander and totally geeked out. And <laughs> Jamie was like, you got to come on our show. Yeah, and so Emma did in our last podcast and she is here to continue that conversation so emma we've not met thank you for being on the show emma and jamie met in sheffield mm-hmm. at emma's house mm-hmm. i i stayed in the states i know <laughs> terry wasn't able to join us you'll hear you'll hear us when we're having the conversation we kind of were like if terry were here so you were there with us in spirit but yeah yes, I, am. It, I am it was great we're excited about the second part of the conversation uh, where we are talking about sexual violence probably more in general for the series and yeah you know, the frameworks and assumptions and constructions that we make that both justify and perpetuate rape culture and and sexual violence in general and how we see that in Outlander too. And just a warning, it is pretty graphic, Mm -hmm. the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if there are are folks out there who get triggered by Mm -hmm. this, there is a trigger warning. Mm -hmm. There's also a couple of words for anybody's ears out there who have a hard time hearing them. So just for your edification, for your knowledge, if this is something Mm -hmm. that you have a hard time listening to, you might want to step back. Yeah. The other kind of big news for now is this week you're headed to Through the Stones, right? I am. I'm so excited. <laughs> so Through the Stones is a convention, Outlander convention that's happening in, the, well, it's supposed to be the largest one in the central United States. I guess not the largest yeah. one in the all of the United States. I'm not sure. All I know is that they bill it as, as the largest 
central the United central, States. Yeah. So Debbie Ford is a fan of the show and reached out to us and invited us. And Terry, of course, being on that particular continent, was able to go. And so that's <laughs> great. We're excited. Can't wait to hear all about it. So Terry's going to represent us and is going to ask questions in press conference to Ron Moore if she gets a chance. Oh, I'll get the chance. Yeah. <laughs> you wait. I'll get the chance. <laughs> right. So other other listeners who might be there, take photos because we want to see Terry in action, right? So yeah, so there's going to be other people there as well. Terry Dressback, the costume designer, she's also going to be there as well as Ed Spielers, the guy who's playing Stephen Bonnet. So yeah, really interested. And I don't know if tickets are still available, but if you're... There's a couple left. Okay. There's, I, I saw Debbie posted this past week, okay. just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. There's just a couple left. Okay. So if you are anywhere near Davenport, Iowa, or the Quad Cities, mm-hmm. and you love Outlander, I recommend getting there. Yeah, so you can check it out at Through the Stones, T-H-R-U, throughthestones.com. Facebook Live, we should probably mention, we've been doing responses to each episode over season four. We kind of don't really announce them because we don't really know what time we're actually going to do it. Because, first it's a surprise, so you know, hey, we expect you to be vigilant and to watch our page at all times. (laughs) But two, because it airs in the States on Sunday, but it doesn't air in the UK until Monday. Well, obviously it makes more sense for us to do it on Monday once I've seen it. So we try to do it kind of Monday afternoon-ish UK time, which is kind of Monday morning, midday US time. Watch out for that. Uh, apologies to last week of anybody who watched that because that was totally my fault of having the camera turned the wrong way around. Actually, it was my fault too. So we, we, <laughs> we've been, we've went online and they said to, to put the camera this way so that we could be side by side. Yeah, we were trying. Apparently that we were trying. doesn't actually no, work. And, and one rather snarky uh, <laughs> listener was like, just turn the damn camera around. And, and here's why we couldn't. Because while you're actually recording it Facebook won't let Live you change and you have it. it sideways, it looks fine. Yeah, yeah it does. It, it doesn't look like you're sideways. I had my um, coworker, Karen, was texting me going, Terry, you're sideways. Terry, you're sideways. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I found out. Yeah. So we apologize, especially to our snarky listener, that we uh, upset the order of the universe for him. Mm. And... We will we will be straight up and down. We this will time. we will endeavor to do it correctly this time. Yes, definitely correct. Yes. Um, We're still learning. so yeah. So look look out for us on Monday uh, when we'll give our response to the most recent episode. So hey, we also want to before we head into the episode thank our Patreons. Mm-hmm. We've got Emma and Emily. We've got Fiona, Lynn, and Sarah. Uh, a couple of these are brand new mm-hmm. Patreons, and we just are so very grateful. Mm-hmm. And Susan, mm-hmm. who also just sent us something via PayPal. So there's lots of different ways. If you if you find this particular podcast meaningful and edifying and the community that we're putting together around this conversation, mm-hmm. something that you'd like to keep going, we would love your support. We spend a lot of time and energy putting this together, researching it, mm-hmm. editing, and getting this out to you. And so it would be very helpful if we be. were able to find someone else to maybe edit or someone else to be able to record this. Yeah. We love bringing it to you. And if this is something that you feel like you can get behind and support, then go to our website, mm-hmm. which is outlandersoul.com. And you'll go to the little button up at the top that says support us or donate. And it'll tell you all the different ways you can do that. Yep. You can do it through PayPal. You can do it via Patreon. There are a couple of other ways. Mm-hmm. And you can always just contact us. We we also appreciate your support just by letting us know what you're doing, mm-hmm. letting us know how this is interacting with you because we like to do quotes as well mm-hmm. from our listeners. The other thing too that we should say is so for our listeners, we've sent a few goodies out the way uh, or mm-hmm. th- our supporters this past week, as well as a couple invite or an invitation for some recordings that we would like to use with them. So if you are a supporter and you didn't get that email or you're interested in doing that, then let us know. But the other thing is that we've launched a store. So it's at teespring.com slash Outlander Soul. And right now there's just one design, but it's a quote by Reverend Wakefield that we feel kind of encapsulates one of the reasons why we love Outlander so much. All the proceeds from those sales go to support the podcast as well. So yeah, so there's lots of ways to be involved. Here's the podcast, right? So a conversation between me and Emma. 
as you can probably tell from the title on the podcast, this episode is around sexual violence in Outlander. So trigger warning here, we are going to be talking about rape, attempted rape, trauma. And so if that's a sensitive topic for you, or if there are young'uns nearby, that kind of stuff, you might want to be careful. Right, so welcome back. We're still here with Emma Nagoose. So we did an episode previously around sexual violence in Outlander, but we had a few other things that, well, more sexual violence to talk about, but also some other things that relate to sort of violence in the Bible that we thought would actually be a good episode. So we wanted to continue the conversation. And so Emma, it's great to have you. Thank um, you. Yay. <laughs> and I'm sure Emma will join us for future episodes as well. You'll be back. Um, you will not be a stranger to the show. So the last episode, we focused specifically on the research that you've done around Lamentations and biblical studies and Outlanders specifically. So looking at Lamentations 3 and the character of the Man of Sorrows and how Jamie's experience in the first book and in the first season of Outlander mirrors or gives gives a resource for understanding Lamentations 3 in a different way. Reading Lamentations 3 and the Man of Sorrows as a possible victim of, of rape, which I will always read that now. You're research has completely changed how I read that text. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. You, you. you convinced me. But yeah, so we talked in the last episode about the importance of acknowledging that, that male rape exists, that we treat it differently because we don't see it as much. And I think it's important to say that this is bad for everyone. Yeah. Because just as we're trained to recognize rape, within only specific gender discourses, not only does it mean we're either shocked when we come face to face with a a male rape or Mm -hmm. we're unable to recognize it, it also means that female rape is expected. Yeah. It's it's a thing that happens, it's normalized, and that normalization of sexual violence lies at the the very heart of rape culture as well. So this isn't at all to take away from the, the, the women's issue that rape is, absolutely. Because no. that, that, no. that is like the heart of my doctoral research as well. It's to say that this normalisation of sexual violence against women has this consequence that we're unable to identify or deal with rape outside dominant discourses of gender. Mm-hmm. But then, as I say, yeah, it, it means that we're all too comfortable recognising it in other ones as well. Yeah. They're pretty much... <laughs> Pretty much every TV series we watch, there is some female character who either experiences rape or has the threat of rape at some point in the story, sometimes even when it's comedies. Yeah, and trying to find case studies for my PhD, like I, I said I could throw a dot at Netflix or Amazon Prime yeah. or anything and find a rape narrative mm. and increasingly more on mainstream TV as well, mm. but um, pretty much always women. Yeah. Yeah. So in some ways, Outlander is an interesting case study, which I'm sure is one reason why you've chosen it. But in the sense of depiction and realistic depiction as well of an instance of male rape, but also kind of watching how people respond to it is a good indicator of kind of how we understand victims of sexual violence and, and how, yeah, whether or not they deserved it, whether or not it was has some reflection upon their gender and on their femininity or masculinity, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So I should say we're sitting here in Emma's living room. The rain is pouring in Sheffield. Emma was telling me about her Outlander bingo cards. <laughs> and and so um, while this might seem a little bit dissonant, at the same time we need a little bit of comic levity here. Um. So. Emma, yes. tell us about <laughs> your Outlander bingo cards. Okay, right. Well, I've got quite a circle of friends who are very into Outlander. I'm sure they'll be listening, so I'm going to say, hey, Tracy, hey, Georgie, hey, Jane. <laughs> um, we all gathered last year for the premiere of Outlander season three. 
And, and the question is, are you going to do it? Yeah. Okay, okay, oh, okay. Yes. So it's, is it's it a new a, bingo card or or, or gonna you're going to use the same one? It's a new bingo oh, card. Oh, gosh. How dare I even oh, consider? Okay, card. okay. Gosh, right. right. So, yeah, so we had outlined a bingo So <laughs> I'm going to try to s- s- get her to share them so we can pass them on to you in, in November. But, yeah, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so everyone came around to my house to prepare ourselves for the, mm. for the new episode. We had whiskey because we're very into a themed cocktail. Right. We had sort of themed snacks. We had like Scottish shortbread and we had haggis. Which is <laughs> so funny because I don't think they've eaten haggis on Outlander yeah, yet. No, but anyway. But we, we were grass minestrals. And um, we had a cheese and Fraser bannocks. slice. <laughs> Which is a jam slice. <laughs> right. Okay, um, so for American audiences, a jam slice is a... It's a it's single a, layer s- yellow cake, is that what you yeah, call it? Yeah, yellow cake. Yeah, with a bit of r- raspberry jam, usually, or strawberry jam. I use strawberry jam. Okay, okay. Personal preference, though. Yeah. And then the desiccated coconut sprinkles on the top. Right. I'm trying to think if we have an equivalent in the States, and I don't think we do. I've got pictures. It's a bit like a Little Debbie, kind of, you know, little individual size cake, mm-hmm. basically. But they're, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, it is delicious. But uh, jammy Fraser. A jammy Fraser slice and chocolate yeah. eclairs. <laughs> <laughs> and whiskey, obviously. Eclair. Yeah, that's e- Claire. Jamie Eclair Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Randall. <laughs> yeah. And then I made bingo cards. Mm. Outlander bingo. And the idea was the. Well, we played bingo throughout the first episode. But, I mean. <laughs> It didn't. It actually didn't go to plan since Jamie and Claire weren't together for like the first half of the entire season. It's a so big, big mistake of big your mistake. bingo card is, is that it assumed yes that Jamie and Claire would be together. Yes, it, it assumed that like everything we'd experienced for two seasons would like continue to happen yeah. in season three. Yeah. No. Reader, it did not. No. So. So the bingo card had to be used for the entire season yeah. as opposed to I an episode, someone right? someone got bingo in episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we have... Do you want to know what, what they say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Tell us. So the first one, well, I mean, they're all different orders and all the cards. Right, so it's how many? Nine? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, nine. Okay, so it's nine squares. Nine squares. The first one is inversion of a historical romance trope. Hey, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talk about those quite yeah. a bit here. Yeah. Jamie gives seductive side eye. Ooh, we've yeah, all seen it. We've all seen it, but we didn't see it until yeah. Until I think it's like episode three. Yeah. Or so. Yeah. Boobs. Boobs. And that's I'm all it says. It just says boobs. <laughs> I'm sorry to be crass, but I really thought that we would. <laughs> anyway, then we have Fraser Bangfest is the next one. <laughs> It's probably ruder in the UK than it is in the is US. It? Okay. Yeah, I think so. The next one, which everyone got straight away, yeah. was shocked at how much you can objectify a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we participate in it willingly and enthusiastically is, yeah. is slightly disconcerting, but yes. The next one, which again is one of my favourites, Claire saves life of a begrudging man. <laughs> Or unconscious man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bum. Right, bum. Doesn't matter who's bum. Then Sassanak. Prefer- preferably Sam's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With an exclamation mark. Oh right. So some so Jamie declaring mm-hmm. yes. And yeah. then finally, talk of a rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> because again, show me an episode where there wasn't talk of a rebellion. Yeah. Until you yeah. get to season three. Until you get to season three. So yeah, I have to say, it took a long time to get bingo. And I've got a picture here. We have colored and pencils as well. Right, okay. Cool. Bit poor taste, really, actually. Yeah. But hey. Well, hey, it's fine. Yeah. I think actually, I think that, that bingo will will actually work quite well next season. I think now um, that they're together. Yeah, I think you'll be you'll be okay on that. Mm. But you can't see this. We'll share a photo. But um, it is kind of a yellow parchment-ish paper with kind of an old, Old style calligraphy kind of font. Put effort in. Yeah, yeah, it's totally. Yeah, you you did well. Thank you. You did well. Back to sexual violence and outlander. To ransom a man's soul. That's the name of the last episode of season one. 
where we see a lot of the detail or where Jamie kind of revisits what happened to him at Wentworth. Basically, between Wentworth and Ransom and Mansell, we get the full picture. But that phrase, we were going to do an episode and we still, we will do an episode on the Bible, the use of the Bible, quotations of the Bible in Outlander. And of course, we've been kind of talking about that with you anyway. But where does that come from to Ransom a Man's Soul? The Book of Job. The Book of Job, okay. Yeah, so towards the end of Book 1, because um, it isn't shown in the, the TV no. series. They cut a lot of that out. Yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. when Claire is in the Abbey, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she is struggling for resources on how to deal with what is happening. Yeah. And um, she finds a Bible and she decides... It's while she's sitting in the chapel yeah. as well. And, and she decides, mm. hey, this is worth a go. Mm-hmm. And um, for a few pages, it's quite funny. She's um, sort she's, of flipping through yeah. this kind of... I, I was always a bit struck by when I was a kid. We talked about the Bible as like this m- almost magical kind of mm. book. And that you could just sort of flip it open and find whatever you needed. Because God directed however the pages might fall. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like she's doing that it's almost but taking like, the mic yeah sort of yeah because there's like it's like live commentary from claire yeah when okay. reading the Bible. oh that's that's useful oh that's not you know yeah. like she even has that kind of commentary she, yeah and she's quite sarcastic sometimes yeah. as well i think she opens up on psalms and she's like not helpful yeah and then yeah she flicks through various books of the bible before finding the book of job which she says is jamie's favorite interesting very interesting the book of job is jamie's favorite book why do you think that's interesting because i think that jamie is in some ways a philosopher at heart and the age-old question philosophical question theological question is why do bad things happen I think Jamie kind of intrinsically sort of seeks that out or seeks to understand why the world operates in the way it does. Why do people suffer? Why? <laughs> because Job's just a super important figure. Yeah. And that you're given this little insight that mm. perhaps Jamie really identifies with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. really interesting. Yeah, that things happened to Job that were not his fault. Mm-hmm. That Job, throughout the... Throughout the story is the honorable character. And who, suffers. And suffers despite that. Mm-hmm. Always does the right thing. Always was honorable, faithful, never denied God. And yet, all this bad stuff happens to him. Yeah, so I probably should have had a copy of the book in front of me. But leave a comment if I get this wrong. I'm sure yeah, 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 but yeah I'm sure. it something along the lines of, um, so Claire starts reading it, and it talks about being in despair, but if someone should come, an interpreter who can deliver him from the pit, he shall be his ransom. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. Mm-hmm. But the implication is that Claire will be that person, mm-hmm. and sort of Claire will pay the ransom of bringing him out of this darkness mm. so yeah so to ransom a man's soul nod to what's more than a nod it's a, it's a direct reference to the book of job but yeah the implication is that claire is the is the person who delivers him from that mm. and it's interesting that actually she reads that and then goes and does that weird exorcism thing yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I think it's interesting too. I mean, sort of within traditional theology, this idea, well, I I, I say within traditional theology, particular atonement theories that Jesus does what he does is, you know, goes to the cross and, and the crucifixion and all that happens as a means of paying a price. And so in the same way, that kind of ransom idea that Jesus paid the ransom for our own souls and so I wonder Claire pays the ransom for Jamie's yeah yeah. which is interesting because Jamie paid the ransom for Claire's yep that's why he gets into the situation he was in with Blackjack yep yeah. Gosh, what a reciprocal relationship. Uh, yeah, a whole <laughs> lot of ransom being paid. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm interested in kind of the Christ figure tropes, for lack of a better term, Christ figure imagery that we see both on Jamie and Claire. In what ways do you see, particularly in relation to your research, 
that Jamie is a Christ figure in that in this way. I have to say, I mean, Christ figures don't feature a lot in my research. No. Um, well, and you do a lot of work in the Hebrew Bible. And, yeah, you know, I mostly do Hebrew Jesus Bible Jesus is stuff. not in the Old Testament in, no. uh, in the Hebrew Bible. I know that's a revolutionary statement for some people, but yeah. <laughs> what I would say is you should check out Emily Marlowe's work, mm. one of my uh, fellow PhD students who specifically studies Christ figures in film and games get her on the we could get her on yeah but from sitting opposite emily (laughs) (laughs) i know that so i mean one of the major tropes of a christ figure is the idea of of sacrifice yes suffering um, suffering Mm. absolutely and which is something that we see from jamie pretty much all the time he's this perfect figure of masculinity he is selfless he is self-giving he will lay down his body and everything else he has at his disposal mm. uh, to protect Claire, mm. who is... And th- th- there's a really, like, spiritual aspect to their love as well. It's, mm. like, completely otherworldly. But then similarly, Claire, when she brings him back from this despair after his rape, she explicitly talks about owning his soul. I think he's talking about how Jack tried to sort of destroy it yeah and then she says like i you belong to me like mm-hmm. i'm the one who owns your soul mm-hmm. and i um, don't know how more sort of christ godlike you can get than mm. actually taking ownership of someone's soul like that yeah well it, and also too where we talked a little bit about victim blaming in the last episode and I was intrigued by one of the points that you made about maybe it was in our private conversation and not in the actual episode, but that Claire fulfills counteracting victim blaming in the way in which he heals because Claire believes him. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. So it's it's a really heartbreaking time in the episode and the chapter when Jamie completely internalizes the victim blame narrative. You know, he talks about how he was a coward and he wasn't afraid. He was too afraid to die. The, the implication is that he sort of let let Jack do do what he did to him. It was an act of love for him. And he also, I think it's important for us to acknowledge too. And I and I'm glad that Diana included this too. That in the context of the abuse, Jamie has a biological response. Yeah. He gets an erection mm-hmm. and is in aroused by what Jack is doing. And he is so ashamed with, by that, that. In some ways, I find that that is what lingers for me in telling that story is him associating sexual arousal with something to be ashamed of because mm-hmm. that happens. Mm. In, yeah, in that no, context. I think you're absolutely right. I, I forget what he says, but is it he like made me? It might be like he made me rise to him or yeah. something. Yeah, it's, it was. It's something, really it's something like that. Yeah, and there's absolutely loads of research to suggest that a, a biological reaction to a tactile sensation is absolutely. I mean, it's nothing to do with consent. No. And here he internalizes so much shame about that, and he's so guilt he feels so guilty mm. to tell that to Claire as well and yeah you're absolutely right it's Claire who says you are not to blame and mm-hmm. it's when Jamie apologizes profusely to her mm-hmm. that she says very outrightly you have nothing to apologize for mm-hmm. whereas Blackjack as the abuser had told Jamie like a lot of abusers do how will she ever love you again yeah how she don't ever, you. you know how are you gonna tell her about this and then he's surprised that that Claire tells him in season two or in, in book two, mm. oh yeah, I know everything. Mm-hmm. And that, and they're still together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's Claire who, that's sort of how I ended the book chapters by saying supports him by believing him, by telling him that he's not to blame for what happened to him. And that's just an incredibly important function. And it's like, you know, a, a lesson <laughs> for everyone else in terms of if, if that's the power of belief and support and circumventing a lot of these really oppressive things like victim blame and then you know it healing can, can then maybe be possible yeah it's a really important function of claire that yeah that she just looks him in the eyes and says it's not your fault you have nothing to apologize for in the historical context of both scotland in the 18th century and in the 
20th century where Claire is from, both of those times, that would not... It's quite radical. That would be quite radical, yeah. yeah. I guess that's the point. Go I'm, Claire. Go Claire, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Christ, Christ imagery in this story, another connection to kind of make, we gave this um, alert in the last episode, but we'll do this here too, is we're only kind of, spoiler alert, up to season three and, and book three. We won't go beyond that. But I will say, not going beyond it, the Scottish prisoner. (laughs) And then in some of the Lord John Gray novels too, both Jamie and Lord John Gray, Diana attributes a phrase that should sound familiar. Lord, let this cup pass away. Let this cup pass from me. And the context is uh, situations that both Jamie and John Gray find themselves in that they don't want to deal with and of course ultimately do using biblical language you know attributed to jesus from these two characters i think is interesting i i was struck watching the the season one last two episodes of just the visual imagery Mm -hmm. uh, where jamie is christ just some of the just some of the ways in which they shot it was overtly religious to me I mean, I've got some examples that crop up in my head straight away. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to Quentin with prison, yeah. he has a nail hammer through his hand. Absolutely. Number one. Yep. <laughs> number two, there's just one frame where Black Jack is sort of holding a semi-unconscious Jamie. It's like a pieta, like Mary well, holding the unconscious Jesus. Yeah, or, or even like... Or... Or even Dead. sort of crucifixy. Yeah, yeah. If Jack is the cross yeah. and Jamie's hanging from it, yeah. it, it, it's really, really Christ-like yeah. in its representation. Yeah. And then I suppose the other thing that comes to mind is the way that Jamie hangs when he's flogged Yeah. as well. That's, that was gross. Yeah. I, 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 the, the way his flesh hung, hung off his back yeah. was just not something I expected. At least I always you know, pictured that story with Christ on the cross was very much... Like, silent suffering. Yeah. And I think that's something that happens a lot, which is problematic in, in, in a lot of that ways. That is very um, problematic, yeah. But that's something that Jamie does as well. He does. Without complaint. Mm. Refuses all, to all give Black Jack the, the mm. pleasure of mm. hearing him cry out. Yeah. Yeah, the, w- yeah, the way in which we tell the story. And, I mean, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is much more vocal in what happens to him. But in the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, they're, he's not. He is silent. Katie Edwards, who's your supervisor? I was literally is... just, about, <laughs> was just about to mention that. Um, yeah, she, she wrote pieces. I think it was for The Guardian <clears throat> called Silence of the Lamb. Yeah. And it was also, it was on Radio 4. It was. Or, it was or, on or, Radio 4. Yeah, and part of the BBC Radio talks. 4, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, Britain. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that was about the figure of Christ as a silent sufferer mm-hmm. and how actually encouraging that again as the model of a sufferer yeah that we are taught to be silent as opposed to speaking out because about it's what the happens. noble thing to do and how damaging that can be in the context of rape culture and sexual violence yeah we'll include links to to everything we're talking about in the in the show notes for the episode so you can go to the website and and find those links if you're interested in following along but okay, so we talked about kind of the Christ figure as this suffering sort of figure and Claire is a Christ figure too in the sense of kind of no sense of self-preservation or dignity united in authority and commitment is something that I had written at one time making notes about this. And she's a healer. And she's a healer. She, yeah. She's she's parachuted in yeah. from this other world. Yeah. And she's a pretty radical healer. Yeah. I mean, she cures people. Yeah. And she makes an active decision to deliver Jamie. Mm. She figures out how. I have no idea. I mean, she reads this Job thing and goes, aha, I know what I need to do, right? So she goes in and she sort of performs this exorcism. But it is an active decision on her part. As she's reading the Job piece while she's sitting there in the chapel, she's like, oh, no, this isn't me. I'm, You know, that's damned if I'm going to do that, I think is what she says. And then later she's like, no, actually, this is what I'm going to have to do. And she does it. I sort of mentioned that Lord let this cup pass away, but but in some ways Jesus does the same thing in the sense of he he knows what's going to happen or has an inkling that this, this might take place. And, you know, he could have run. He could have 
decided, well, no, this isn't for me, and goes away and asks God to to take that away. And theological constructions aside about, you know, God's role and blah, 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 blah. At some point, Jesus makes a decision and submits himself to the authorities and, and things happen. So there's, you know, the suffering sort of side of it. But there's also Christ figure for Jamie in the sense that where he is described as the son, where he is described as the one who brings light. So I'm thinking specifically of the wedding episode. TV. Hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the TV episode talks about Claire. It's as if the sun came out. Jamie is describing Claire in the TV show. But in the book, Claire is describing Jamie. And then in Dragonfly and Amber in book two, chapter 28, called The Coming of the Light. And it's when Claire is in darkness. She's sitting in Fontainebleau in complete darkness. Her grayness, I think is what she calls it. So depression after having lost faith. Jamie's in prison. She's... Again, faith. paid his ransom. Yeah, her baby with not the king. As in losing faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It well, could mm, be. Yeah, could be both. Mm. By the way, uh, we are going to do a special episode just on that with Karen O'Donnell, who's another theologian who works specifically on pregnancy loss and trauma. Feminist trauma theology. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. So, um, so yeah, we are going to do a special episode just on faith. Yeah, so Jamie appears as the sun in, in Claire's darkness in Dragonfly and Amber. So not just, yeah, Christ figure, not just as the suffering one, but as the resplendent, glorious one. I guess he also um, sacrifices a life with his child as well for the greater good. Yeah. In terms of Brianna. Yeah, yeah. Brianna and Willie. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Jamie sacrifices a whole hell of a lot. And there's also this Claire going back to where she sort of heals him at the Abbey. Claire as a balm to to the trauma and to the scarring of Jamie's body, both in the in the book and in the TV show where she is dressing his wounds. And I'm just thinking about see the scars on my hands and put your hand in my side. Mm. So Jamie is the Christ figure, but in the sense of that Claire is this this healing balm. I don't know. There's something about that that I think find really powerful too. The violence in Outlander. Okay, so tell me what you think about this, Emma. We're gonna have a we'll have a conversation. So I I was an avid listener to the Scott and the Sassanac back when it, or Sassanac back when it was on by uh, Story Wonk. It's since stopped, but. One of the things that the forum uh, in the forum was talking about was that what Blackjack did to Jamie, forgive the language, what one of the forum participants said that Blackjack, uh, what he did was a mind fuck. And, and, and I'll just quote what, and I'll give the link on the page. I think if they'd left it to our imagination, we would have only considered, uh, my insertion, what happened between Jamie and Blackjack as rape. She says, this was much more than sexual assault. And I think the viewer needed to see that. That's why this rape, so Jamie's rape by Blackjack, is different than other rapes or attempted rapes that occurred in the books. That we needed to see the difference to truly understand it, that male-on-male rape is no worse than male-on-female rape. The same devastating sexual assault. But this was something even more tragically traumatic if that's possible, that Blackjack tried to consume Jamie's soul. That there was... she. I think she's implying that there's something even more, even worse, that happened to Jamie than just rape. What do you think about that? Man, I think it's really complicated. I think yeah. a lot of the time you see people draw a distinction between... I mean, I've heard it, like, on the news... Um, in, in academic texts, this distinction between violent and non-violent rape. Yeah. And, <laughs> As if any rape isn't yeah, violent. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it's a very, very common description yeah. that I find. Like, and, and what they mean is they're talking about someone who's raped and they're talking about someone who's been raped and physically beaten and is left with scars and bruises 
and bite marks and cuts and broken bones yeah okay maybe you're talking about different experiences there mm. but I think you can perhaps identify their different experiences without undermining or erasing the inherent violence of all rape yeah how can you talk about a non-violent rape when someone has something pushed inside of them mm. against their will it's inherently a violent thing to do so yeah I, I think it's really complex some people would describe what happened to Jamie as torture rape I think yeah. I've heard the phrase torture rape being mm. used again I talked in the last episode about how I'm trying to look at rape narratives through the lens of rape revenge narratives mm. Jacinda Reed, who writes a lot about uh, rape revenge has highlighted torture as like a trope of rape revenge narratives mm. but Again, that's almost like describing torture as something different from rape. Yeah. Like you're torture, tortured, at like Jamie beaten and then raped. Mm. But actually, is is all rape not a form of torture? Hmm. There, I mean, okay. I, I am not disagreeing with you here. I'm curious though. So within the, <laughs> within the scholarship, within sort of the com- conversation that's happening around conflict at least and rape culture or religion and sexual violence even too there's a distinction between sexual violence and sexualized violence okay yeah in the sense that one seems to carry a connotation of it's about sexual gratification and another is sexualized violence is isn't about sexual gratification but about power and abuse Mm. so while i do not disagree with you at all i wonder if when people are talking about torture rape but then you know in a sadistic sort of situation that is sexual gratification yeah and not about power so yeah i don't know there's also the whole complication of blackjack is both an individual who has his own predilections and desires for lack of a better you know like his own things that he does compulsions compulsions maybe they're yeah. not compulsions gosh I don't know yeah I don't know either but also he's an actor of the state a mm. colonizing force who has abusive control over oh my uh, completely oh. There's, there's a whole other essay to be written about yeah. how Blackjack's rape is the foreshadowing of Culloden yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and when people when I've talked to people about about Outlander when I first became a fan and they were like, you know, kind of what are what are you really interested in or what, you know, why do you like it so much? And as I've said before, I I was introduced to Outlander through the TV series, so I'm not an absolute purist like some people. I, I watched season one. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to read these books. But I would say season one, if you were going to encapsulate season one and book one, for me, it felt as if the theme was around consent. Mm. both on an individual level so between Claire and Jamie you know all that kind of stuff on a communal level in the sense of column acting on behalf of the clan and and other people and then on a national level where Scotland is (laughs) is raped by England um, or by a colonizing force it's again like super biblical mm. in terms of mm. a besieged or fallen city yeah. in like the biblical text so you were talking about in the last episode like you know regularly portrayed as a raped woman yeah a besieged city mm. yeah oh no that's really interesting but yeah yeah going back to the original question i don't know yeah i i i, I try to resist the sort of compulsion to apply a gradation in how bad a rape is. Yeah, because that, that's, that's really difficult. Is. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and but this one is somehow worse because X, Y, Z, which would then imply that others aren't as bad. I think maybe maybe you can split his experiences. I know split his experiences in two and describe that before he was raped, he was beaten. Yeah. But I don't know if he's beaten. I don't know. It's mm. It's very tricky. These conversations are just the tip of a really big iceberg. They are. Um, yeah. But I think we're actually, like, as a society as a whole, like, mm. only, yeah, only scratching the surface of, of, like, what a rape culture really is and how it operates and how we're to talk about these experiences and mm. we're still finding the right language and it's really difficult. 
So, yeah, it's complicated. However we talk about it is imperfect. Yeah. Those kind of things. So I think that's a good segue then for us to then sort of talk about... When you talk about rape culture, what do you mean? Oh. What's the definition of rape culture, first of all? Okay, interesting. There are lots of definitions of rape culture. I think the one that I sort of use... Rape culture is to describe a sort of set of beliefs and practices. And social understandings? And social understandings that normalise sexual violence Hmm. in society as something that is either sort of normal, expected or inevitable, which I think to begin with feels quite shocking to people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the more you read about it and the more you think about it, it's something that I yeah c- completely believe that that we live and exist in the more you uh, see it everywhere yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah everything from expectations of how women should walk through the world in terms of what they wear and how they act and how they dress everything about conflation of sex and violence of violence as sexual or sexuality is violent everything about the way we think about virginity the way we think about purity Mm-hmm. Mm. Does, that, does that yeah I yeah. think so yeah maybe I'll in, in the links we'll link a, d- a good definition to rape culture yeah but you're right yeah, to be ask useful. because I use it in such an offhand way all the time now <laughs> yeah I'm just thinking we should, we'll include that in the links in the first episode too that would be useful probably so rape culture assumptions cultural understandings around sexual violence that find it acceptable like set parameters for when it's acceptable and when it's not it's like sexual violence is a normal and expected part of the world that a good example is the way you sort of boundaries between between men and women particularly are framed as pushing against people's boundaries until you're sort of let in yeah it's how sort of a loss of virginity is is talked about in lots of contexts and that violence and sexuality sort of go hand in hand. Yeah, I'm even thinking kind of about, you know, the stuff I grew up with, whether it's in romantic novels or in movies and stuff like that, where the the guy just pursues her and wears her down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that to say then, we're going to set the cat amongst the pigeons here. We know some fans are going to be quite upset probably by this. So um, We're all upset by it, Jamie. Yeah, we're all upset by it. But Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Jamie as a possible contributor to rape culture. <laughs> participant in rape culture in his own way. As a victim and survivor of rape himself. And yet, there, at least within fandom, um, there's quite a bit of conversation but a lot of people who feel the need to defend Jamie around Geneva. So in book three, season three, Geneva puts him in a situation where she basically forces him to have sex. So there is a Terry is not here to speak for herself we but we have talked about it before but that (laughs) Terry believes that they both they rape each other and I and I think that's probably true in the sense that Jamie would not have said yes except for Geneva threatening him what do you think about that okay so when I watched it I was very very sad Mm. and distressed and upset and yeah when you watched it when I watched it okay yes when I watched it I didn't read it Mm. Um, I watched it all first Mm. and then I ran to the book to Mm -hmm. compare and the book was so much worse. Yeah, the book was worse. I was like, wow. She explicitly says no. She's she explicitly says, says no on the TV program. Yeah. Well. She also says, take it out. Yeah. Yeah, take it out, she screamed. He clapped one hand over her mouth and said the only coherent thing he could think of, no, he said definitely and shoved. What might have been a scream emerged through his fingers as a strangled eep. Geneva's eyes were huge, round, but dry. Oh, God. Your face. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's unequivocally rape. Yeah. I absolutely do. And to me, ha, ah, right. As Margaret Atwood says, context <laughs> is all. However, <laughs> in this case, what came before doesn't matter. Yeah. From the minute he is putting his penis inside of her and she says, no, take it out. Yeah. There's a clear instruction. Yeah. I mean, talk about... Re- I mean, there's no need to read between the lines there. Yeah. He makes an active decision. 
I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't even think there's a, oh, but she really wanted it thing to mm. even clap back at then, which is also bullshit. Yeah. But he's made a decision there where he goes, this person wants me to stop. I'm going to circumvent her consent and use physical force to do what I want. Yeah. And of course, one might say, but it isn't what he wants because he's been forced into that position. Yeah. But he's the one on top of her, yeah. putting his hand over her mouth, yeah. raping her. Yeah. So yeah, to me, it's very upsetting. I think what is upsetting is that Diana Gabaldon doesn't describe it as rape. She, yeah, she she does not name it as that. Yeah. I think it was like in a Facebook thread about it mm. where she, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure this is the case that she, she, she said that it, it, it wasn't an example of rape. Mm. But... Pff. Yeah... Yeah, I, I <laughs> we've used problematic has become a uh, overused term. But yeah, one of the things that the podcast was Scott and the Sassnack used was hashtag imperfect Jamie. And yes, I think that's true. In some ways, I'm glad he's not perfect. I'm glad that he makes mistakes. I'm glad that he does things that are wrong because it makes him feel more real to me. But at the same time... I wish he had done something else. I wish he had not done that. Mm -hmm. Does it taint him? Yes. Does it make him more realistic? In the context of rape culture? Yeah. Yeah. Depressingly. And it's funny because my instinct is to say, I don't believe Jamie would do that. No. However, that actually makes a really good point in itself mm. that there, there are huge issues now where women will call out men. Well, people in general will call out predators unless it's someone they know. Yeah. Or they think it's someone who they know better. And yeah. they go, oh gosh, I just don't believe they do that. Yeah. Whereas actually the reality is the amount of people, especially women, who experience sexual violence doesn't match up with the number of men who put their hands up and say that they're sexual violators or predators. Yeah. So it's actually a really important step to say... He's a good guy. He's honourable. I know him. I don't believe that. So actually, it's really important to chalk back that compulsion and go, I'll believe... Even Jamie Fraser. Yeah. Even Jamie Fraser. Shit, man. I've never thought about it like that. (laughs) So I was... Even now, I think about this, not not specifically this, but these issues literally all day, every day. And even I, I, I wanted to go, I just don't believe the character of Jamie would do that. But actually, that's I'm part of the problem, yeah. if I say that. Yeah. We're all part of the problem, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You tell that I'm nearly finished my glass of wine now. <laughs> well, I... Edit that out. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll let Terry decide on that. Um... But the other thing, we okay, so we talk about the context of, of Jamie and Geneva, but there's also a point in, no, it's in The Fiery Cross, book five, where Jamie is sort of, he's asleep, his eyes are still closed, he's in bed with Claire, and I don't know if he's, you know, sort of dreaming or in fugue state or something, God knows what, but Claire is, basically she's laying there next to him, and all of a sudden he just starts intercourse with her and his hands clamped down on my shoulders then his knee thrust my thighs apart and he entered me roughly she says and I made a high-pitched sound of startled protest his eyes popped open he stared at me and he froze and she says who the bloody hell do you think I am and when I read that I wondered also too whether or not there was something around Jamie forcing Leary to have sex with them during marriage. Because he talks about how Leary didn't enjoy it. And so if that's the case, they at least had sex enough for him to know she didn't enjoy it. And so how many times did he try it before he gave up? And why was he doing something she didn't enjoy? Yeah. I have not seen that in fandom, where we talk about Jamie and Leary's sexual relationship. And Leary obviously had been a victim of sexual abuse and the way in which she talked about intimacy the way she well we never hear it from her we hear from jamie saying she didn't enjoy it because her previous husband must have treated her badly and so jamie tries to redeem that in some way i would assume and i mean in some ways okay to be to be devil's advocate here jamie's a product of his environment of the rape culture at the time 
we talk about him as if he's a real character. He's been written by a 20th century, 21st century author. In some ways, I think, so in the context of Voyager in Geneva, going back to Geneva, that within Voyager there were there are all these little nods that Diana Gabaldon gives towards the romance genre, right? Where the virgin, at least typical romance trope, is the virgin woman, inexperienced, doesn't know what she's getting into, has this initial protest, and then is sort of overwhelmed or then becomes becomes into it after the initial thing. Mm. And so in some ways, throughout Voyager, there are these little nods. And I wonder how much of the Geneva Jamie scenario, at least in Diana Gabaldon's mind, is a nod to that trope. Not justified. Not, I don't, not okay. You know, but at the same time, I do wonder how much that, that plays a role. And so I also then wonder how much of it is Jamie as this, 18th century character who doesn't see or doesn't understand male agency in stopping once he starts thinks it's duty for a woman to you we'd like to think it's not but i mean does he see it that way i don't know i mean he's definitely i mean i hate saying a product of his time but But he um, is. Yeah. I mean, and we see it later, Not no spoilers, but we're going to see it in season four. But we see it in season one yeah. that he's happy to punish you Claire. Beat Claire. Physically. Yeah. Until she goes, hold on a bloody minute. You know? <laughs> Touch um, me again and I'll cut your heart yeah, out with a spoon or yeah, whatever exactly. it is she says. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, in, in the first time they were going to have sex, he, he was just going to... He thought it was horses. Like horses, Yeah. yeah. Um, from the back. So, so you get the idea that yeah. without Claire's intervention, he'd have all sorts of horrific practices. Yeah. So I think maybe the, the implication with Leary is that Jamie is both a product of his time and a product of Claire. You know, so a lot of his good qualities actually come from Claire in like the guiding hand that she gives to him. <laughs> so as soon as Claire... So as soon Sorry, as Claire, guiding hand. I just, yeah. <laughs> so as soon as Claire's off the scene... Yeah. Well, and it is kind of 15 years later. Yeah, but like, you know... So whatever he, he, Claire's influence is, has it, it rubbed off a bit? It's disappeared. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it leaves a more of a damning picture. Yeah, it does. That a, a, lot, a lot of his excellent qualities that stand him out from mm. his peers is that he has the influence of someone who is from hundreds of years in the future. Mm. <laughs> 202, to be precise, but yeah. Excellent knowledge. Yeah, huh. <laughs> I'm not trying to redeem Jamie's behavior, I promise. I'm not. I don't think it's justified in any way. However, <laughs> I do think it does make a more realistic picture. I think out of this conversation, that is probably the thing I'm going to take away the most, is, mm. is holy hell, how much have we justified men's behavior because we know them or we trust them or we love them? Yeah, the discussions that came out of and the Me Too movement said this so much to me that mm. a lot of women that I knew posted Me Too related statuses, mm. statuses on their uh, social media accounts mm. and they were filled with very, very, very surprised men. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, the amount of women is in most, actually, mm-hmm. who'd had some some experience of sexual harassment. What's the st- statistic? Like three and five, four and five. Yeah, no, massive. And then it, and that's, that's just harassment, not yeah, not just yeah. specific abuse. And that's people who identify yeah. themselves. Yes, people who actually yeah. yeah. That doesn't match up with the, with the amount of people who yeah see that they're harassers. Mm. It's got to be the good guys doing it too. Yeah. For that kind of rate. Good good guys are sort of in, inverted commas that you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, it's it's a very hard thing to do to say actually the people that I know and love demonstrate these horrible behaviors because it's a part of our culture yeah and because like a, a toxic masculinity is also central to a rape culture mm-hmm. and something that is in a lot of ways like championed and encouraged mm. you, know, you go and you you get women you do things to them not with them mm-hmm. and you're like congratulated when you do it mm-hmm. you know it's, it's especially in the co- i know i keep coming back to the whole virginity thing but you're you're expected to come up with a bit of you know pushback Mm. 
but actually mm-hmm. consent is, is meant to be freely given not just convinced yeah. whereas convinced consent I don't think the concept of that was even really talked about until quite recently what do you mean by convinced like, consent the idea that okay consent is consent yes means yes but actually freely given consent isn't consent that is convinced from someone mm-hmm. it's what you're saying about wearing someone down yeah and I think convinced consent mm. is a way of sort of getting round the idea of a freely giving consent in a mm. way that people see as less problematic, which actually it shouldn't be. Yeah. I've heard other people refer to uh, enthusiastic consent as an enthusiastic yes. And unless you've got that, don't, basically. Yeah. But do you remember um, you at the Religion and Rape Culture Conference at the keynote by Rhiannon Grable yeah. um, from Rhodes College, which yeah. you should just all look out for as well. Yeah, and we she had this really interesting that. stuff about how, yeah, the consent narrative doesn't go far enough. It doesn't. Because, heaven forbid, the best thing you can say about a sexual encounter is that it was consensual. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Rhiannon said. I thought, excellent point. Yeah, that is excellent. Um, she talked about consent as being an icky... Fuzzy, messy, icky. Yeah. That's not on the Shiloh Project blog yet. It will be. Is it? Okay, so it will be. We're so releasing when it... a few videos every few days. Yeah, so we'll definitely include that in the show notes for both this episode and the earlier one too, for your viewing pleasure. So, well, Emma, we're so thankful. It was amazing to oh. have you. Thanks so much for opening up your home for me to come. Oh, you're very welcome. Oh, we didn't talk about Fergus. We didn't. The one thing I wanted to say about Fergus mm. was going back to what we said earlier about the, the virginity stuff yeah, that you were talking about earlier. The interesting things you can read into the changes people make, conscious changes, I think, mm. people make between the text in the book mm. and the TV program. Mm. So when Fergus is raped by Blackjack, heroin horrible moment in the book Fergus when he tells Claire what's happened says that this has happened to him before yeah that it wasn't new yeah that he had well he was working in a brothel right and so some sometimes he got sold yeah Yeah. and it was awful Mm. but I just thought it was interesting that the tv program didn't include that yeah um, in what is otherwise pretty faithful adaption of the Mm. book I think Mm. I find like you know what what can we what can we tell from their omission of that mm-hmm. and their decision to portray him mm-hmm. as someone who's never experienced anything like that before? Mm-hmm. I hesitate to use the word virgin mm-hmm. when, when you're talking about someone who's been raped mm-hmm. or forced into, who's, who's been a victim of childhood sexual exploitation. Yeah. In the stuff that, work that I do with like Tamar, mm-hmm. who, when she's raped in mm-hmm. uh, 2 Samuel 13, to make the reader so sort of more sympathetic to what's happened. The construction of purity and virginity mm-hmm. is like important to that. Like whatever was taken is even worse in this context, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. obviously not true. So yeah, I think is that what we're seeing with the decision to portray Fergus as like even more innocent. Mm-hmm. Like that they've chosen to construct that innocence even more. Why do that? Is the implication that an audience would be less sympathetic if this is something he's done before? Yeah. or had done to him before. And it's not even a question of, I mean, I could see how some would say, oh, well, there's the whole, you know, safeguarding of a child actor and that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it could have been in someone else's conversation. He wouldn't have even, even himself necessarily had to have said it. Jamie could have said, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, telling Claire sort of as an aside. I'm sure he had been used in the brothel at some point in time you know like so yeah it seems as as if the omission is is intentional a conscious decision to portray fergus as yeah as inexperienced as a virgin and i wonder i think we're meant to experience respect react to that rape differently then that's what i was just about to say i wonder if they made that choice so that it would be more shocking yeah, or for the, the viewers, pathos, yeah, more pathos, more. Oh my gosh, poor Fergus! Mm. Than they would have if they'd known. Mm. Well, that's happened to him before. That's nothing special. Because again, we talked about in the last episode that Fergus's rape is a plot device to move Jamie towards trying to kill Blackjack. And so, if Fergus had been raped previously in the TV show, or if that history was known then would Jamie running off to kill Blackjack have had the same weight which it should 
It should. But no, I think you're but right. But would they have yeah. thought viewers wouldn't wouldn't understand? It, it, it goes or would, to be a fly in the writer's wall or you know writer's mm-hmm. room wall when that conversation happened. But I think like these ideas are actually like so ingrained in a lot of ways that mm. I, I think even the suggestion of admitting it wouldn't even have prompted a big conversation. I think it would have been clear what they were trying to do. Yeah. It was yeah. to construct him and therefore have people react to him in a different way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, okay. Well, thanks so much, Emma. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Um, and like I said, you are welcome anytime. And if you find you're watching in the new season, you're like, oh my God, I want to talk about this. <laughs> then um, we might need to do it over the phone or something. But you are more than welcome to join us at any point. Thank you. And if you have any more... Um, Bingo cards. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say more scholarly observations, oh. but bingo no. cards too. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, bingo cards first and foremost, and then anything else. Yeah, let us know. We're happy cool. to have you. Well, thus endeth the episodes on sexual violence in Outlander, at least for now. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.